Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hey, DB peeps. Welcome to our episode called Celebrating the Art of the Blend. And today we are joined by a special guest coming all the way from California by Skype, uh, Grant from Jessup Sellers. Hey, Grant. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Super. How Good. are you? Doing well. It's beautiful out here. We wish we were there with you in Napa Valley. Still. <laughs> Still. For those of you who didn't hear, uh, listen to our episode about Napa before, um, we actually visited Jessup Sellers because Sarah was, was became obsessed with it on a prior trip. I was enamored. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. myself... What's that? Did you say you were hammered? No. <laughs> Maybe that too, but enamored and hammered, probably. <laughs> they go they go together, don't yeah. they? So well. So yeah, so we we I then fell in love with it and we are excited to drink Table for Four Red Wine Blend, which is your flagship blend at uh Jessup's. So Grant, Sarah's gonna open this. Yes, and this episode is called celebrating the art of the blend as a tribute to table for four which is the art of the blend for jessup sellers so while i open this why don't you tell us uh what is in this red blend sure well this is our our start here and what people love us for but uh, every year it's a combination of our best uh fruit from our favorite vineyards and whatever you know barrel is performing the best in the cellar that's what goes into uh the table for uh, this was inspired by our four family vintners who wanted kind of a, a perfect wine uh, to take out to dinner and, you know, everybody could order something different and this is the wine that really pairs with it all. This guy um, is 70% Cabernet Sauvignon and then about 10% each Merlot, Petit Verdot and Cabernet Franc. And um, a little combination of mountain fruit as well as some valley floor fruit on this as well. Awesome. So you're drinking this too, right? Great. Okay. I'm going to pour some so that we can have our cheers. Woohoo. All right. Ready? Cheers. 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 <laughs> mm, it smells so pretty. Ooh. Yeah, it does. Okay. We will come back to what's in the glass, but let's go back to Grant. And Grant, can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got started at Jessup? Well, I, uh, I used to work for a winery down the street here, and uh, so we're located in Yonville, California, and um, I worked at a little wine taste room called Hope and Grace, and the old manager there was married to the old manager here, and uh, when I was at Hope and Grace, though, I wasn't uh, full-time, and I was, it was a great spot, but really short ceiling, if you know what I mean, and uh, when it came time for bigger opportunities, uh, my manager at the time said, hey, well, my wife's uh, hiring up at Jessup. You should go say hello. And I've been here four and a half years now. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. So you must love it then. Oh, yeah. This is, I've worked for several runners now, and this has really been my favorite. That's awesome. Well, that's positive. Hopefully, you you know, you keep getting to the place that you want to be every time uh, you take a new job. So, And that's something to say about Napa, given that there's, what, over 500 wineries there or something like that? Well, there's around like it's a new number every time I check, but it's around <laughs> like 600 bonded wineries and then over a thousand brands. Oh, oh wow! Shit. Yeah. Okay. So you have you have for, quite to choose from, I guess, once you have some experience. So yeah. So if you don't like one place, one winery you work at, just go to the one next door and you'll be happy. There you go. <laughs> so this is delicious. Excellent. I am loving this. Um, I, I don't know if so what so what tasting notes do you usually I guess tell people that you would experience off of this um, before I tell you I mean kind of what I'm getting. <laughs> well, for the table for four, we really blend this wine to have a great you know a concentration of fruit flavors, but uh, in balance with the tannins, it's something that we want to have uh, that. It just has a great ability to pair with food. So we're not trying to make the biggest snap of cab out there in the world. We're trying to make something really approachable and food-friendly and something that everybody can enjoy at the table. I, I totally agree. This is delicious. It's like got just the right amount of fruit with tannin. I think it would do well with a lot of food. We're actually having some cheese and salami here, and it's like really complimenting it. So, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, this is like the cab for people who are afraid of cab. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Because it does have tannins. I mean, if you're going to be eating food, you're going to want some, right? But it's not the overbearing sort of rip your face off uh, tannins that just make it, you know, wines can be unenjoyable if that's the case. But this is nice combination. I'd say that there is good acidity in here too and some really nice dark fruits, which is like up my alley. I'm loving it. So what do you love about Jessup Cellars? Why do you stay? um, I mean, I have so many questions about that, but just kind of getting into a little bit about the company itself. What is your philosophy there and what do you love about it? I think with with Jessup, we really, uh, if you ask any of our family vineyards, one of the first things they really focus on is that sense of a work family. So really being a supportive company and, you know, taking and really striving to take care of everybody that's in it. I mean, I'm a great example of that. When I started, I just started this tasting room sales, and I um, had an opportunity to start education with the WCT, uh, or the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, and uh, they paid for my, my the level three that I did uh, a couple of years back. And so they really you know, take the time to invest in the things that we want to seek out. And if there's something that inspires us in other ways, then they're happy to really roll with that. I mean, one of my coworkers, uh, he started out in tasting room sales, and he said, hey, I kind of want to take this on the road and do tastings at people's houses, and they built a whole new branch of the company where we fly out and we do in-home wine tastings. Um, Wow. So we can even go to Wisconsin. I was going to say, will you come to Milwaukee? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. We might have to talk about that. The beautiful thing, it's, it's a small enough company where there's there's a lot of care and effort that goes into everything, and everyone really has a say, uh, but it's just big enough to where we're able to explore new ideas and, and, and branch out there, and we really strive to kind of be trailblazers in that sense. Awesome. That's great. Does Jessup have a, a massive portfolio, like by comparison with other Napa vineyards, which I know that... You know, some of those vineyards will sell things in grocery stores across the country, but Jessup isn't like that. So by comparison, would you, how would you describe the portfolio that you offer? Sure. Well, we, we annually produce about 10,000 cases of wine a year, which is really pretty small. I mean, I used to work for a winery up in St. Helena that did 25,000 cases and, and distributed nationally. And then I worked for another company that was part of Kendall Jackson and they're oh, you know, wow. yeah, huge. huge. So Jessup really is one of the smallest brands I've worked for. And uh, we went direct consumer over 10 years ago now um, because, you know, being a small winery out here and trying to, you know, sell into a three-tier distribution, it can really, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough yeah. business. It's an expensive business. There's a lot of players out there. But, you know, we decided let's let's try and pull back from, trying to wholesale everything and make no money at it. And let's really focus on the customer experience. And, you know, so we started doing, you know, wine and cheese pairings in our gallery and really expanding our wine club. And now 86% of our whole club is through, uh, 86% of our revenue is all through the wine club. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. We have almost five and a half thousand wine club members now across the country. We sell out of almost everything. (gasps) And uh, it's it's, uh, pretty amazing to see. Oh my goodness. I was just trying to do the math. So five and a half thousand, that means that each wine club member, not even each, could get two cases a year. Yeah. Holy shoot. Our wine club ranges from 12 bottles to 24 bottles a year. Oh my wow. God. Yeah. I think you're talking to a future wine club member over here. So <laughs> which one? I know, right? Maybe both. We'll Maybe we'll together. share. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, so I know we're drinking the Art of the Blend or the Table for Four. Um, but what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite wine of your portfolio or not so much? Of our portfolio? I mean, it depends. I do get the pleasure of drinking a lot of these wines. And <laughs> if I ever get tired of one, I can take home a different one. That's right. <laughs> or my, my daily drinkers are a little bit better than what I can usually afford. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the ones we're best known for, I'd say, are Chardonnay or Zinfandel or Table for Four are our three best sellers. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, we're really creative. We like to find new vineyard sites and, you know, work with other farmers and, and, and make 
new you know, blends or new styles of wine. And we, uh, one that I really like that we do is called a rougette. It's a Grenache based blend. Oh, um, I don't think we tried that. Yeah, it's a good one. We only have a couple cases left, but uh, <gasps> uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I like those, especially in the, in the, the summertime weather. It's nice to have a softer, easier drinking kind of red wine and the yeah. rougette does a good job to do that. I even chill it down a bit. It's like 55 or 7. It's really refreshing and nice. You know, it's funny because when we were there, I actually bought wine that I don't usually buy. Like, I ended up buying a Sauvignon Blanc and a Merlot. And, like, I never buy Sauvignon Blanc (laughs) or Merlot. And I, I mean, it made such an impression on me that those, and I also bought the Zinfandel Port, which was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, not a huge port person, but... Yeah, yeah the Merlot's killer. I mean, that's the one that always surprises everybody. It's such a, it's a great farmer that we work with for that one. It's all from the Truchard family vineyard in Carneros. I think that that was probably the 2015 Merlot that you had, and it's delicious. It's so good, I wanted to, like, buy an entire case of it. Or five. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so, Grant, just to clarify, the tasting room is in Napa, mm-hmm. um, but you actually source your grapes from all over Napa. Is that correct? I love the tasting room. It is super friendly. You walk in, you feel like you're almost at home. People are just so welcoming. Oh, absolutely. And I also know that you guys do a wine and cheese pairing, which I have done in the past. We didn't get to do it this time. Um, But it's a great value. I think it really showcases all the different wines and how well they pair with different cheeses. It's a really nice atmosphere as well. So I highly recommend it. So do you source your grapes from the same place every year or do you guys mix it up or how does that work? Well, we definitely strive for long-term partnerships with different farmers. Uh, we bought uh, 30 acres of, of land out in the Wooden Valley, which is on the northeast of Napa, basically just kind of behind the Atlas Peak Appalachian. And, uh, so out there we do some of our own farming. We farm Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, a um, little bit of Sauvignon Blanc. So the Sauvignon Blanc that you, you like so much, that was our vineyard actually. Oh, nice. Uh, and with that, you know, we're able to, you know, we just planted a bunch of fun stuff out there, which I think we're just going to be able to use this year. So oh, more. nice. <laughs> like but, what, uh, what yeah. is fun stuff? Like what type of thing? We planted some Petit Verdot, some Sangiovese, uh, and some more Cab Franc. I believe we planted some Zin. Some vines that we, you know, Cab Franc is hard to find in Napa yeah. anymore. It's so popular lately. So uh, we've been getting, we wanted to plant some out there. And uh, we use the Cabernet Franc mostly for blending. Like the table for four has about 10% Cab Franc in there. Yeah, no, and it's, that's awesome. That, that vineyard for the 14 was actually across the street from Black Stallion. Oh, uh, Actually, we did go to Black Stallion when we were there. So a little bit of that fruit goes in there. I don't know. It's it's called the Voyager Vineyard. We must have been looking at it as we were (laughs) driving in. So that's awesome. And then what about aging wine? Where do you guys age it? And what do you usually use? And for how long? I mean, I know that's a very general question, but specifically maybe even for the for the table for four sure well we have our winery is out in the, it's more of in a, in a business park area it's actually called the crusher wine district there's about 13 other wineries in the same area uh, but there's also like other businesses out there as well and that's why we have our tasting room up in yachtville because it's such a nice place for people to come and visit and, and do the tastings but at the winery we do on everything that we do down there we do a little bit of custom crush for other clients so okay. um oh. that kind of helps us afford you know new toys to play with in the winery to make better wine uh, but for the table for four we bring everything in in separate lots we ferment them in uh, open top fermenters and we do subcap fermentation so as opposed to doing like a pump over or a punch down, we basically have what looks like a big metal grate. And then we submerge the, the cap of the skins and the seeds that floats to the top. Uh, we submerge that into the fermenting wine itself. Oh. Um, we don't have to do any punch down or pump over or anything like that. It's oh, really interesting. Nice. So that's what helps, you know, integrates the, the tannins in a very soft and subtle way. So the tannins are there, but they're not, you know, too harsh. You know, there's never... You know, when you there, sometimes if you do a pump over, you're on the risk of cracking the skins, and you get a particular type of bitter tannin called catechin, which can be a little bit unpleasant. 
So we can avoid that with these types of fermentation techniques. Uh, and then after it's all fermented and good to go, we press it off, put it in the barrel, and we let them age for about two years, about 22 months in total. That's what we average. And we blend everything just before bottling. So okay. we let age and do its own thing by itself and then we blend later so that we you know it's the whole art of the blend is you know right sit out with the cellar crew and you know, have a big table full of wine and see what tastes the best that's awesome so is it for the most part would you say the percentages in table for four are about the same from vintage to vintage roughly the same like 70 10 10 10 or they're usually roughly the same vineyard sites i mean uh for the cab it's all uh, Cabernet from up in the Chiles Valley, which is a nice hillside vineyard up there. Uh, we like the mountain fruit that you know, provides a little more intensity to the uh, to the fruit itself. Um, but it usually ranges around sixty to seventy percent Cabernet. Mm. But mm-hmm. uh, even in years that it's been enough Cabernet to put Cabernet on the label, we've still just put red wine because we want people to focus on it being a blend uh, first. And, you know, really what it means as opposed to what it is. That is really interesting. So do you get to participate in the blending? The only bummer of having the taste room in Yachtville is that the cellar crew is all the way down in Napa. And so I find myself going there a lot of times on my weekends just to say hello and hang out and laugh and stuff. And, yeah. you know, once in a while they're like, here, taste this. Like, they were, we were just... Uh, getting the Chardonnay ready the other day for, for bottling this month. And they were all saying, hey, Grant, come taste, uh, you, know, doing, you know, doing all these barrel samples and stuff. So it's fun to, you know, hang out, hang out with them and see what they're doing and make sure they're making good wine and all that fun stuff. <laughs> Just making sure they're doing their jobs. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. So how big of a crew is it? Uh, we have a, a few full-time guys. Uh, there's the winemaker, Rob Lloyd. Uh, there's our assistant winemaker, Bernardo. Uh, we have, you know, Zach and Victor, a couple other guys in the cellar. And uh, we usually hire, hire a couple harvest interns a year as well. And sometimes even our taste room staff, you know, they they split their days during the week so that they can do a little internship in the, oh. in the and actually help out make some of the wines. And then they can go to the taste room the next day and get to talk about their experience with the guests and go from there. That's incredible that they have the opportunity to sort of see the back end and then relay that to your customers in the tasting room or if they're doing like the office sales. I know we met Mike uh, when we were there and he was fantastic too. And he was sharing, you know, some stories from like when he does like his regular job, if you will, not in the tasting room. And I just think it adds to sort of the experience and the how much you feel then as a consumer connected to the the wine uh, and the winemaking process. So that's, I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can get out of a tech sheet, you know, and you say, here's the <laughs> breakdown of the blend and this and that, you know, and, you know, who really cares about the the TA and the pH levels and this and that. I mean, you know, people want to go there and taste it themselves and, or be, you know, like I remember in 2017, I helped out in the, in the winery when during the fires, cause we were closed up here. So I figured up, oh, I'll just go help them out in the cellar because I'm sure they need it. Yeah. One day I sorted fruit for like eight hours. Oh, and wow. I, <laughs> I got to, oh man, that was an experience. You know, I found <laughs> muscles I didn't know I had. <laughs> I'm sure. So good. So. <laughs> so you appreciated their hard work, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, what they do in the cellar. I mean, uh, even, you know, from the people that go out there and pick in the field, um, in the vineyards, uh, who bring it in. I mean, it's an amazing process from start to finish. That's awesome. You grew up yeah. in wine country, right? Yeah. I was uh, born in about 30 minutes outside of Napa, but my parents bought a house here right when I was born, and I've been here ever since. Where were they before? They lived in the kind of the East Bay area. Okay. And then when they had my my brother and I, they wanted to move to a, a nicer area. Uh, they had some good schools, so they picked Napa. And this well, was lucky you, huh? <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, it was a beautiful place to grow up. That's for sure. But I mean, it's definitely it is a small town at the end of the day, and there's not a lot to do when you're under 21. Ah, that's so, fair. Fair. If you're anything like me, you just find new and exciting ways to get in trouble as a kid. <laughs> so did you uh, then go down to San Francisco to get in trouble? I did. Well, that's the beauty of Napa is that you're so yeah. close to, you know, so many different things. You're, you know, an hour from the city. You can go out to the coast. But yeah, the city is where you go to get into trouble and all that. That's awesome. Is anyone else in your family in the wine industry? 
Or did you just stumble upon this for your own interest? I'm the first in my, my family to get oh. on the line. Oh, yay. Okay. My parents growing up, they were in real estate, and that's kind of the direction I always thought I was going to go. But, you know, just before I graduated high school is when the market really took a dump, and I was like, well, I guess that's not going to happen. So <laughs> not so much. I decided to run around the, the Bay Area. I did a couple internships, and I didn't really like the real world, so I came back and got a job at a winery, and I kind of fell in love with it. And that's really? Picked it off, yeah. I love that, I, that comment pretty. that you didn't really love the real world yeah yeah. it's like you know what i mean who needs an office job you definitely need to be drinking wine as a profession yes yes for sure i mean i I used to in the in the city i worked for a a non-profit that promoted uh, nightclubs and music festivals which was really fun especially when you're you know just barely under 21 yeah there and get to go to all these shows but you know, that's a tough business to be in and uh, I, I thought wine would be a little more fun yeah I think you're right I was a non-profit for a while too although not for clubs and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little bit more fun than what I did but if I had lived in Napa I would have wanted to go back to Napa and be like this is what I'm doing it was late in life when I decided not that late Jesus, I'm not that old. It was late in life that I fell in love with wine. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, as a kid, it's hard to appreciate kind of Napa Valley and what it right. really is until you're a little bit older. I definitely experienced that myself, but now I can't imagine living anywhere else. Wow, it's so pretty and fun to be. And this is the place you want to be if you have a career in wine. Yeah, definitely. So, do you have like an aha wine, if you will, that like? Let's say maybe you were roaming around San Francisco or whatever. You decided to come back and start working in a winery. But maybe you were just kind of like, I don't know, effing around a little bit, just being like, I got to like feel this out or something. Was there something, a wine that was like so pivotal in your memory that you were like, I must create a new blank? Funny. I mean, the, the only reason I started working at a winery right when I turned 21 was because you know, I, I – the city thing wasn't working out. I, I just really needed a job, and there was uh, I got a job through a staffing agency to just buff tables, I mean buff glasses and set tables at a winery, um, in Oakville uh, called mm-hmm. Cardinal, which is a very oh. fancy, expensive winery. Yeah, <laughs> incredible wines there. Chris Carpenter is a fantastic winemaker, and they're owned by Kendall Jackson. Mm. But I got got a job there, and I really, you know, wasn't taking it super serious, so I just, you know, it was, it was whatever, it was a job, I was just <laughs> there to do my thing, and so there was this little old guy there uh, named Dale, and uh, he did, like, the private tastings where they would take people out to the vineyards and this and that, and uh, they had a brand called Lahoda, which is all Hell Mountain fruit, and um, he uh, came, got back from a tasting, and he came up to me and said, Grant, come here and you know, taste this wine, see what you think. And it was a 2001 La Hoda Cap Franc that was just blew blew me away. I mean, it was outstanding wine. I I had you know drank wines before. I mean, it was I just turned 21, so of course I was taking home all the wine that I could. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll take all the the, you know the half open bottles and all that fun stuff. But it was this particular bottle that you know just they all shared with me, and it really kind of touched me in a way and. It just, I, I, I knew, it just, I was able to see wine more than just an alcoholic beverage. You know, there's real history and there's real uh, culture that surrounds it. And this particular bottle just kind of opened my eyes to that. And, well, uh, I'm impressed it was a Cabernet Franc yeah. that did it for you. I absolutely love Cabernet Franc. Yeah. And honestly, people typically don't love Cabernet Franc and they start to drink it after they've drunk a lot in their lives. Not like at one time, right? <laughs> True story. Hopefully not. Hopefully not just at one time. But throughout their lives. And so that's one of the wines that I feel like people don't actually discover until much later. And so it's amazing that you, as a you know, early drinker at twenty one, that's sort of what dictated your career path. And Cab Franc struck you so young. Yeah. It's it's fun to think back to that wine. I do credit my uncle though with um I have a lot of family on the East Coast and my uncle drinks a lot of wine. And they came out here years ago on a, on a family trip. And, you know, when you live in Napa and you have family that comes to town, you go wine tasting. That's right. just 
Yeah. And as a kid, I forget how I must have been like, you know, twelve or thirteen or so. And we he wanted to go to Opus One, and so we went there. They did a tasting there, and then he would always be like, "Grant, come here," and he'd give me a a lower glass and oh. taste it. And I was like, okay, go on. So I credit Opus One as my first wine that I ever had. Shit. So, I can't even say I've had, I've not had that yet. That's pretty fancy. So <laughs> you go back apparently. You go, just, you know, yeah, you're cool like yeah. that. <laughs> but I do remember working, I worked a lot in catering as a kid in high school. And, um, you know, a lot of the chefs, you know, they just say, well, if you're not, yeah, if they don't ask, don't tell them you're not 21. Kind of a <laughs> good thing to find, you know. But uh, <laughs> we did a catering event once, and we were tipped like this, like, hundred-something-dollar bottle of wine. I think it was called, I, I forget the name of it, actually. But I remember my buddy and I went home, we are like, ooh, we got a bottle of wine, let's, let's drink it. And we opened it, we are like, oh, that's terrible. And then we just mixed it with Sprite. And oh, was, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, that's incredible. So I, I like to think I've come a long way in my, my, my drinking career. I was going to say, that, yeah. do you look back and cringe at that moment? Or are you like, ah, oh, that's just life? It's life. Yeah. yeah. I'm here today, and the only thing that's important is what's tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. That's I very like that. good. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Um, so throughout this time, what has been one of the most rewarding parts of being in the industry and being part of, you know, growing up in Napa and now being part of like Napa and actually what Napa represents, what's been one of the most rewarding things? Sure. For me, I mean, you know, working in a winery that I get to see a lot of people every day, you touch a lot of people's lives in this industry and you really get to know people while they're already in a good mood, which is great. <laughs> I always joke, it's not like I'm working at the DMV here. You know, oh my God. Right. I'm in the to the, <laughs> to the winery, but yeah, I mean, you get to know people from all over the country and even all over the world. And you know, for me, the, my career in wine is really a, it's a it's a big passion for me, and to be able to share that passion with others. And you know, if I can be a small part of somebody that gets to experience wine in a new way and kind of just light that little spark inside that you know gets their curiosity going, that just means the world to me. You know, I mean, I love it. Like, you know, some, sometimes people always get bummed out when they get like that birthday group of someone coming in that just turned 21. You're like, oh, oh yeah. you know, I'm not going to sell any wine to this one. But for <laughs> me, I always take it as a great opportunity to be like, all right, now that you're able to drink, I'm going to teach you how. That's right. To enjoy it and to really, you know, take something out of it. You know, this is a beverage that's been around for as long as we have. And it's a really exciting thing to, to share with people. And so if I can be that person to really get that start going, then that's what really make, makes it all for me. So you rise to the challenge of the bachelorette party is what you're saying. <laughs> sure. Yeah, those are, <laughs> we, we schedule those in the morning. You know? uh, we hear, oh, I'm a bride-to-be. It's like, oh, great. We only have a 10 o'clock available. <laughs> it's very strategic. <laughs> I see. I see. Oh god, that's hilarious! <laughs> but I that's that's great. So, do people hear about Jessup Sellers mostly mostly through word of mouth? Or I mean, I was introduced to you guys on a wine tour, but I think it was the driver that was taking us around. I think he really thought you guys were special, which you are. But that was why he brought us there. It wasn't like part of the routine stops. You know what I mean? So, how are people usually introduced to you? It's definitely word of mouth. I mean, we, we really don't spend a whole lot of money on certain types of marketing. You know, we, we do a lot of event-based marketing where, you know, we help host a lot of music events in Yachtel and things like that. And uh, we, so we do more like lifestyle-based marketing in that sense. But, you know, everything is truly word of mouth. I mean, you know, with our member base too, I mean, people we get a lot of people that come up here and we're the first place they want to bring their friends and family and that's an opportunity for us to, you know, make them a part of our family after that. Yeah. And so it's really through just word of mouth and people bringing their friends and family with them. Is part of that, is part of that because considering the amount of wine that you make and produce and and sell, so if it's around 10,000 cases annually, you probably don't want to overdo that, right? Or or go beyond that. I mean, is, is there, is this something where Jessup wants to grow and expand beyond that? Or is this we're going to keep things sort of limited. It really starts with the vineyard. I mean, they're great. You know, these vineyards, they only give you so much fruit. Yeah. You know, 
because I try to go to the vineyard and try to convince it to grow more. You know, it's only going to give us, you know, what you see is what you get. But you know, we we like to expand and and since the beauty of having our the art of the blend is that we like to create new you know blends in the cellar and expand in that sense. So though we do ten thousand cases of wine, you know, we do about twenty different wines in total. Okay. So everything is truly a couple hundred cases here, a couple hundred cases there. And so we like to expand in, in that area. And I mean, you know, we really want to focus on, on the core wine. Like the wines that people love us for, again, are like the Chardonnay that's in the table for. So those we produce um, are about a thousand cases-ish, each of those. Okay. But then we expand in, in other areas. So we're, we're not trying to be the biggest winery in the world. We just want to be the, the best customer experience winery. You know, that's kind of like, though we're based out of here in Yachtville, the only outreach that we have is, like, the people that I said fly out and do tastings at people's houses. So in terms of expansion, that would be the only expansion I, I can think about. Them. Yeah, I did actually see in the um, the box that this table for four arrived in, there was a little pamphlet or flyer about a summer tour. Yeah, so that's the whole tasting room without walls idea yeah. so so where where so were those conducted i mean it so was, we do those at, just at people's houses so that like, was for people's houses yeah Shit. so like like say you like get a group of like 10 or 20 friends together we fly out we bring you choose six wines uh that you want us to feature what? okay and we out we bring the wines and we do a party in your house next oh summer my gosh for like a food pairing or a cheese pairing that's all on you guys we bring the wine you bring the people Oh, we, we, we can definitely handle the people. <laughs> as got- far as the cost for that, we only have, we just um, have a minimum case purchase for the group. So three cases uh, for the group and, or more, it pays for our time to go out there. Oh, uh, well, I don't think that we would so, have a problem ordering three cases. Oh my God, not at all. Even just between ourselves. For sure. But we can pull more people in on that. But so I had gotten that flyer, and I by the time I had opened it and seen it, the date for Illinois had already passed. Oh, well, can we can we special request that you come see us? Is that something that can, you can do? Like come up to Milwaukee or something? Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, we can definitely make we can definitely make anything happen. We, you know, those dates that we we have on the card there are, you know, dates we've already confirmed. Um, I mean, my position here is in the tasting room, and I help do all that fun stuff. But we have a couple people that are full full time, and they fly around the country. It's funny, like when we talk about work family, we don't like to totally break up with employees when they, you know, move away or leave to another job. Uh, so, <laughs> like we have that's uh, nice. Yeah, we have one um, girl that used to work with us. She's actually the granddaughter of one of the the wines that we make. Funny enough, we have a wine a blend called the Jewel. Yeah. And that, and after our, our family, one of our family owners from South Dakota, uh, was named after her father. And um, her, so his name was Jewel. His granddaughter was Ellen. And uh, so she's who, actually, she lives in Chicago and she does tastings in, in kind of the Midwest and Northeast area. Girl. So we should be contacting her then because Chicago is only about an hour away from here. It's a hop, skip, oh, and a jump. Sweet. That's it. Well, oh my gosh. She can, that's for sure. <laughs> So yeah, it's funny. We we like to, you know, we, we we love our work family, and we try to keep them as close as we can, even if they move away or find a new job. Aw, see now now I feel like I should have lived in California. I should have gone to Stanford and gone to work in Napa, and then come back here. I should have done it. I should have been a Jessup person. Sure. I mean, the opportunity is not lost, right? The app, no, although I'm sure my husband would, doesn't want to move out there. He doesn't like wine quite as much as I do. We'll say that. Mine is turning into a wine snob. So There's a growing number of breweries out here, actually. That's oh, true. Okay. If there was yeah. scotch, he would come. Uh, scotch, yeah. Well, there's Napa Valley Distillery. They make some nice uh, whiskey and okay. bourbon. There you go. Oh, well, shoot. Well, now I might need to bring him out there. <laughs> I might be able to persuade him now. So this um, wine tasting around the country thing that you guys have going, which is amazing, is this common for Napa wineries or is this very unique to Jessup? Because I I can't think of anything that I've heard of like this before. I've seen a lot of wineries do like pop-ups at restaurants. Okay. Oh. But I don't know. I mean, I, I really think we're 
one of the first people to do these types of tastings in this capacity. Of the in-home, like, because then consider people are way more comfortable because they're more relaxed because they're in a, you know, comforting environment. Yeah. So. So this is a shout out to anyone in Milwaukee who wants to try out Jessup Sellers. <laughs> Give us an, a shout and maybe we can like put something together where we can all get together and. We'll have a DBP hosted one. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, you might be hearing from us very soon, Grant, for that. <laughs> We're going to try to work on it. Yeah. You talked a little bit about your sort of why you like being at Jessup and what Jessup does and stands for, and especially with respect to the, the relationships with the consumers or the customers who basically become your family, right? Um, I feel like what you described really speaks to the fact, like, and the reason why you maybe have done some of those certifications, because you you get to a deeper understanding and meaning about what is behind the wines. And so you can, you can impart a little bit more wisdom, if you will, on those, uh, those customers. So can you tell us a little bit about your certifications? And I know you recently took a test and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And I'm intrigued too, just because I took the level two in wine and spirits, uh, in March I passed. It's nice. Yeah. But I'm she, she she really passed. I really passed. But I am intrigued about going forward with, you know, level three and possibly level four, but we'll see how that goes. So what's what's your experience been with that? You know, after I passed the level three, so, well, first of all, if anybody's going to get into any, you know, wine classes or certifications, there's, there's a number of great, you know, programs out there and uh, that people can look into. I had the fortunate, um, you know, I've grown here in Napa. The Napa College was my first ever wine class I, I ever took. And then when I was at Jessup, they were they used to host the level three classes there. And that's what oh. and um, they offered to let me do that there. And so I did. And I, I did the level three. Uh, we did the classes here once a week. It was, it was really interesting. We tasted a lot of wine. And then I took the test. I didn't pass the first time. And I was just oh. so out by that and so I went back and I and I, and I retook it and then I passed with merit and so that kind of congratulations gave me the, congrats that's awesome and diploma it's definitely so with the wine and spirit education trust they have their four levels the level one which is really a kind of a, a crash course kind of I think it's a weekend course they do the level two it really dives into kind of the greater world of wine and reading behind the label so really knowing you know being familiar with you know the the major grapes of the world, the regions, the styles of wine, and like common labeling terms, and then level three, you know, gets a little deeper dive into some of that stuff. Each level kind of increases in difficulty by a power of ten. And uh, <laughs> uh -oh. so diploma, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't spread out into multiple units. Okay. Because it was, I mean, after I did the three, I was like, man, I, was like, <laughs> I thought that was difficult enough as it was. <laughs> uh, but I figured, you know, if I'm going to really get into this business and, and make this a career and not just a job, you know, let's go for that next level. And, you know, I looked into the diploma program and um, since it was spread out, I thought, okay, I can handle this. You know, I, I didn't you know, go to college right after high school because my, my parents being in real estate, you know, they took a big hit after the 2008 crash and all that stuff. And so rather than trying to deal with student loans and this and that, that's what inspired me to run around the Bay Area and do those internships and then yeah. get in the wine. But I figured the diploma is really, it's a, they, the way the Wine Spirit Education Trust set it up is a, it's a degree in wine. And it really gives you a global perspective of the world market and overall business of wine. And so we're, I think like levels two and one really talk about, I'm sorry, two and three talk about kind of, you know, the what in wine. Mm -hmm. uh, diploma really goes into the how and to the why. And it really gives you a, a good perspective on how to dig into into wine and to, and just really have a good perspective of the world of wine. Okay. But yeah, I mean, any of the, go for it. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say. So level three, though, because in level two we didn't do like we tasted during the. It, I took the weekend. You can spread it out over like six weeks or something like that, maybe three weeks. I could be wrong, but there was no actual blind tasting. So level three is the first time that you do that that blind tasting. In level four, you said you had 
12 wines that you had a blind taste. For each unit, except for, so five out of the six units has a blind tasting component to it. Oh, okay. So, so the, the poem is split into multiple units, um, and one is, you know, there's spirits, there's oh. sparkling wine, there's fortifieds. I hate uh, spirits. Oh. <laughs> so I had to, when I did the, the spirit, they took spirits out of the diploma, though, so... Oh. You'll be you'll be okay. <laughs> I think they took it out of level three too. Funny enough, but um, yeah, I had to blind I, on my test. I had to blind taste two spirits and, and write a whole description of all. Oh them. god! Oh. Yeah. Were you how how difficult was it to not be like nasty, nasty, nasty? Well, I just... it, was, it was that unit was one of the more intriguing ones to me because you know when we talk about going to get into wine education, it's really into the wine aspect and spirits is somewhat in the background. You know, this allowed me to take a deeper dive into the world of spirits, where they come from, the styles that they're made in. And it was really interesting to, to take a break from learning about wine and, and get into spirits because they're made in very different parts of the world yeah. than wines are. So you think, you know, Scotland and the Caribbean, there's not a lot of wines growing in those right. areas. It was interesting, you know, one of the, the, what I love about studying about wine is that it's not just about the alcoholic beverage in front of you, it's the, the story, the, the person that made that wine, the culture that they're from, and the history yeah. of that country, and so, you know, studying wine allows you to really dig into that, but I didn't, it's, I, if, I always joke with people, like, if there isn't a major wine region there, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> So when people say, oh, we went off to this country, I'm like, I have no idea. So Russia, you have nothing. You don't know anything. There's a little vodka out there. There you go. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's... It's, it was really interesting. I admit it's interesting to learn about. I just, I can't, I struggle with spirits. I mean, if spirits, if it's mixed with something, I'm good. Like, give me a good vodka dirty martini and I'm happy. Extra dirty. I mean, like. I think when I was in college, that, I'm okay I was with that. I'm okay with that. Um, but as so far cool. as like just drinking straight liquor, yeah. mm, I don't know. That's that's rough. So yeah. yeah, so that was an interesting wine tasting. It was just two spirits though that we tasted. Okay. okay, it was pretty quick. And mine were weird. Like it was, uh, it was a rum and a grappa. Oh, a grappa. I didn't get the grappa right. I'll tell you that. But <laughs> I mean, that's like. That's out of left field, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I, that was like one of the smallest sections. It's funny. When they test you, usually like they'll have a theory question of, of one particular region, but the wines that you taste are different ones. Uh-huh. So they try to mix it up in that sense. So I did a, um, a unit three test for the diploma a couple of weeks back. That was kind of covers all wine of the world. So I think rosé, so white, rosé, red, and sweet wines of the entire world. And, that uh, seems like a huge topic. That's a lot. To, uh, I, <laughs> I feel like they should break up that test in the like old world and new world or something. Yeah, I don't at know. least sure. at a minimum, at a minimum. Yeah. But uh, that test had twelve blind wines on the tasting, and they were but it was split into groups of three. So you know, it would say it would give you a little information about each one. Oh. So a wines one through three are made wholly or predominantly of the same grape variety, but are from different country origins or regions. Oh, so you would have to. So you, they give you a little information so that you can taste it and be like, okay, well, you know, these three wines, this, these three wines all share the same characteristics. I think this wine is Cabernet. Now, you have to say why you think it's Cabernet. Yeah. Okay. So when you're when you're you're really writing, I mean, essentially, you're you're trying to explain this wine to somebody who's not in front of you. Right. And, and do it in an accurate enough way that that paints a picture of what you're tasting. And so that's really what the diploma is all about in that sense. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, it was a lot of wine. <laughs> oh, my God. How long did it take you from, like, the start of your diploma units to to this last? This was the last one, right? So I have one more test after. I've passed four out of six units. Oh, my God. And I just have I – I had that last test. So now I also have one more unit to go and a paper I have to write, and that's it. So oh what made you do this besides, like, taking the sommelier exams, for example? Sure. Well, the, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust is definitely more of an academic organization, and they really give you a lot of information. Yeah. You know, so they're really here to um, – they they have 
uh, standards that they have to uphold by by the British government, um, uh, by the Ofqual. So they have to well, they have to give you a syllabus, for example, and they give okay. you mm -hmm. material, and they they tell you what wines you should face and this and that, and uh, they have a whole classes that go along with it. And for me in my career in wine, since I work at a winery, it just made more sense to work with an organization that caters a little bit more into the world business of wine, as opposed to like. Um, the Quartermaster Sommeliers is much more fine dining driven. Right. And I love the Quartermaster Sommeliers. I've done the um, introductory course with them. I actually did their certified exam back in October, and I but I didn't pass the service part. <laughs> oh, oh, no. no. It would be difficult to do if you're not in the restaurant business, though, right? Right. Well, they really focus on they, they have their test in three portions of tasting theory and service, so they set you up in a practical restaurant environment and they they make you super nervous and ask uh, and they answer <laughs> they ask you a bunch of questions and for me I think on that test my nerves really got to me I mean they were asking me questions that like I knew the second I left the room but I, I totally blanked on in the middle of it but it was a great experience I mean I think the court really trains you to be you know to work under that type of pressure and uh, you know, deal with us in a different way. And so I think it's a great organization. I'll retake the certified test some sometime after I'm done with the diploma. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you know, if you're if you're someone that really wants to work in the restaurant or hotel side of things, to be a SOM is fantastic. And that's definitely the route I would recommend. Versus someone that really just is just someone who really enjoys wine and wants to learn a little bit about it. The WCT uh, is great to give you know classes and material and things like that. You can do it a little more casually, in that sense. Yeah, I remember when I was looking at which certification I was going to take, I was definitely weighing the options because it, it did seem that the uh, court of sommeliers was really des designed for those who are actually in the service industry. And so the WSET was actually something that was more knowledge-based and academic in nature. And so I remember when I was – you know, thinking about what to do, um, you know, I was thinking, Sarah and I, we, for as much as we talk and drink a lot of wine, and I think that we know a fair amount about wine, I just really wanted something to sort of beef that up. And I was happy to find that, you know, level one isn't necessary to take in order to take level two. And level one is just, it really was too, I think, rudimentary for our purposes. And so I decided level two was really going to be better because it sort of took it up another notch. Um, so I I'm actually level two in wine and spirits. I know in August, Sarah, probing you, but in August they're doing just wines finally for level I'm two. I'm excited. Yes. So you may need to sign up for that. I wish I could have done just wines, but, you know, I know a little bit more about spirits, so I guess that's good. But this essentially, the WSET essentially opened up a whole box, and I just kind of want to keep going, and I want to keep moving forward. And so for DBP, I think that this is the best one, And but to be honest, there really are so many certifications out there. Oh, yeah. There's also, I'd say the three big schools for wine are the WCT, the Quartermaster Sommeliers, and then a third one uh, people forget about is the Society of Wine Educators. They have a whole different list of their certifications, too. I mean, I think it's a neat organization. It's not one that I really know a whole lot about. I, I haven't, you know, I figured the Quartermaster Sommeliers and the, the WCT is kind of the route I've chosen and I'm going to stick with. But I've had friends and coworkers do the, the CWE as, a, as well. And then the other side of it, you can go to, I mean, you can go to school and get a degree in winemaking or, or viticulture. And oh, then yeah. there's the other end of it, too. That's true. Uh, yeah, a good friend of mine, um, he went to the college for winemaking versus I went to uh, a, a more of the WCT route. And so it's fun for us to get together because he's, I think he's going to be an incredible winemaker one day. Um, but he's uh, living in France for a year right now. He's actually just at the end of that. Show. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. But well, that's the cool thing. For him, he gets to travel. He did a harvest in New Zealand. He's lived in um, France for the last year. I actually went out, I went out and visited him in France uh, a couple months back. And uh, it, was yeah. it was really cool. It was my first time in Europe, so it was fun. Oh, there. my God. So do you have any advice for people who are just starting through their journey through wine, whether it be tasting or, um, you know, trying to become certified in something? Like those twenty-one-year-olds yeah. who are just able to drink. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's what would you how what recommendation would you give them as they sort of enter this path? 
Well, I'd say anybody that wants to, there's just even thinking about, I mean, say, you know, if you even drink alcoholic beverages to begin with, then, you know, a lot of people start with beer or spirits or cocktails, for example. But anyone that starts to get into wine, I mean, I always encourage people to really just keep it fun. You know, just get out there, explore, and, and just be curious. Take everything in. Um, every glass is an adventure in that sense. And when you when you learn more about wine, you truly learn more about you know, you know culture and history and where we as human beings have come from and where we're going. And so wine, I think, allows you to really uh, to really do that. And so anybody out there looking for these types of uh, certifications, go for it. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a wine test. You know, there's worse things you can study. I mean, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> we're not curing cancer here. You know, this is, uh, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing to be able to share with your friends and your family. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to apply it and a lot of ways to enjoy it. And, uh, I mean, I think, you know, any experience with wine can benefit any part of your life. Yeah. You know, whatever I, industry you're in. I love that uh, comment that you said that every glass is an adventure. Yep. I think I think everybody should take that philosophy and apply it to their to their glasses of wine. Yeah, and if you know a little bit or you know a lot of it, yeah. it's true. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And for people that just you know that they just want to have a nice glass of wine, I mean, and they don't want to go for a big certification, just do a quick Google search. You know, yeah. look up like you bought this bottle of wine at a restaurant or whatever at a grocery store, and even just doing a quick search of like, oh. This is from this area, and they're known for these things. That's really interesting. I didn't know that before. Yeah. And, you know, you get to, uh, you, you, I don't know, when you, when you, you know, I I love being, so it's funny, working in the taste room and, and talking to a lot of people every day, I always like to say that I can learn so much more from listening to somebody than I can from talking to them. You know, it's like, I mean, me, I, I, I can't learn anything from me talking. I already <laughs> but uh, I can learn so much from the person in front of me and wine is kind of like that you know let the wine speak to you and let you know really dive into where that wine came from and who made it and you know the the sacrifices they've made the the you know the and all of those little treasurable moment, moments that led to that liquid getting into that glass <laughs> it's amazing to think that some dude out in whatever country made this bottle of wine and now it's on my table. Like That blows me away every time I have it. Oh, yeah. That is, it, it's mind-boggling when and, you think about it. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why every time we open a bottle, we try to find out a little bit more about the winery, a little bit more about who maybe the winemaker is or why why they're even in it to begin with. Because, as you said, there's just there's so much more that goes into the bottle and it's more of a story and it just kind of helps you relate to what is what is actually in front of you and that you're consuming. It's it's altogether a huge experience and an adventure. So we we share the same sentiments, I think. I love it. So I remember when we were over there that we talked a little bit about your Greek background. And it's oh, Greek background. I'm sorry? Uh, Mike's Mike is Greek. Mike's Greek background. That's right. You gave some good uh, but Greek you gave wine some good Greek wine recommendations. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so um, so sorry, I, I apologize for the background, but I remember you giving us some good Greek wine recommendations. So I am not familiar with Greek wine at all. Um, but what were some of those recommendations that we talked about? Because I think that we would love to, to visit the, that topic as we kind of sure. go forward in our in our adventure in each glass. Sure. Well, I think a fun one, uh, a great place to start and that you could probably find in the U.S. that Greece is a pretty small country and I mean economically they things have been a little tough for them right but in some of the wine regions have been starting to emerge a little bit more uh, so Santorini I think is a great spot to start it's um, the winery the first wine that I had from Greece was from Hatsidakis which I have no idea how to spell but I can that's find okay it you. <laughs> I have a, I have a Greek brother-in-law I will ask him <laughs> And uh, it's from the island of Santorini. It's uh, the grape is a Sirtico, uh, which is a white oh, grape. Yeah, okay. uh, it's delicious. They're really high acid, crunchy, um, beautiful wines that are great with, you know, great with food. I mean, anything you think would come out of the Mediterranean, that's going to pair great with. 
really nice. Mm, grilled octopus. That's what I think of. <laughs> I love. Oh my god, it's so good. I just remember us talking about that, and I thought that was so unique because. You know, being in Napa, you don't think you're going to talk about Greek wine. I mean, to be honest, sure. I don't even, th- I I think I've only had one or two Greek wines, if that. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a unique conversation that I remembered, so. And then it's, the red is the Ayurgitico, right? Is that how you say it? So the red, the most prominent red in Greece would be Zena Mavro. Oh, so you see a lot of that in northern Greece in a region called Naoussa. Okay. And a little bit in the Peloponnepes and all that good stuff, too. Oh. So, bes- I'm moving away from Greece, but um, <laughs> do you have a favorite wine region besides Napa or another favorite winery besides Jessup Cellars in California? Sure. Well, wine um, outside of California, I really like white wines from Spain. So oh, that is not what I would expect. That's awesome. Yeah, spicious. So I think those are really, especially this time of year, they're really crushable kind of wines. They're crisp. Crushable, crisp. I like that. I tend to eat a lot more fish and poultry on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, in Napa, you know, there's a lot of food to tempt you out here, so <laughs> it's hard to stay mm-hmm. trim. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love those, you know, fresh, acidic, bright you know, white wines of of uh, spicious. But in Napa, my favorite wineries, um, I love this little spot called the Terraces. They're in uh, Rutherford. They're right across the street from like Quintessa. And they just do a lot of really fun white sand reds. The owner Tim is a super artsy, eccentric guy. He's big into Burning Man if that paints a picture. Sure, that helps. <laughs> they're a really cool experience there. Um, I like another winery in San Leonardo called Fela. Uh, oh, is, um, we've had them. We've had them. Yeah. They're really good. Aaron Jordan, he's just such an intriguing guy. And yeah. uh, I've heard some really good interviews from him. And my friend who's in France right now, funny enough, just accepted an internship to work with him at Fela. And oh, so he's wow. working harvest with them. And so I'll be drinking a lot of their wines coming I up. I actually soon. have three bottles of their wine at home. If, uh, if you ever want to hear a really cool, you know, personal perspective on wine, you know, definitely, you know, Trying to look up Aaron Jordan. And I love him too. So Turley, he made the wines there for a number of years. Turley's oh, yeah. Great. Turley, um, Old Vines Inn, right? Mm-hmm. And then here in uh, also, I like uh, Ragushi is a cool spot. Okay. Well, it's over in Stag's Leap. Uh, they're, they're primarily farmers, but they have their own small label as well. So okay. they do a lot of farming contracts for um, you know, different growers and um, uh, wineries here in the valley. Okay. Cool. Yeah, there's and a lot then, of for sure. So I know you have a sister winery as well, right? Jessup Cellars, hand yes. handwritten wines. Yeah. What is we that about? Started, we started handwritten wines in 2009. Okay. It's something that our our, our family vintners they really wanted. So Jessup, being known for the art of the blend, uh, we wanted to really experiment with single vineyard sites, and so we thought we'd develop a whole new brand out of that called handwritten wine. And oh, really, nice. handwritten wines is a nod to bringing things back to a more romantic notion of wine and handwritten notes. And you know, when's the last time you wrote a letter to somebody? You know, we really encourage people to you know go back to that type of mentality. And, and so, at handwritten, we do single vineyard cabernet, and uh, okay. it's a little higher price point because the vineyards are a little bit more exclusive, a little bit smaller, and everything is really terroir driven. So, there's seven different cabs for handwritten. Uh, that we produce, oh, wow. uh, but them are coming from vineyards that are less than two acres in size. Wow! So the production for each cabs are anywhere from a couple barrels to you know, I mean, eight. I think eight barrels is the largest lot that we have for Henry. Wow! Wow, that is not a lot. No. That's cool. So Jessup, we get to really explore and create. You know, one of the things I always talk about with you know, the art of the blend or blending in general, people always think, oh, it's just a mix of something. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, it's a very specific, you know, blend. You know, yeah. Kind of look at blends as the bookends of wine. You know, at one end, yeah. it's kind of cheap and cheerful and throw it all together into a big market blend. And on the other side, it's about creating something really unique and different and special. And so you take components, you know, uh, from one vineyard and add it to another and you get some cool wines out. So blending is really, that's our approach to blending. Versus handwritten, we really want to get into the vineyard. 
and then we want that vineyard to, to, to do the talking. That's amazing. So where would you find the wines from handwritten? Like, is but, it is it at Jessup, or do you go to a different t- tasting room, or how would you? building down the street in the outfill. Okay. Um, so we'll have uh, uh, a tasting room um, coming up this at the end of this year in October, November. Oh, okay. So right. we have to come back, is what you're saying. Yes, you do. <laughs> I I think we can manage that. Yeah. Yeah, because I did see it. It's like right next to you guys. Yeah, so we have a little cottage next door at the moment. So doing just little private tastings in there. Um, you know, Handwritten's a little bit smaller than Jessup, where Jessup does about ten thousand cases. Handwritten does about two thousand cases in total. Well, that's just incredible. So can we go back to our tasting notes on this delicious table for four? You good with that, Grant? Yeah. So we've been drinking this throughout our discussion. It is delicious. And Mm -hmm. we've also put it now through an aerator so that it's we could kind of get that aeration and it tastes a little bit different here. Um, So So can we take this through the WSET sort of like tasting methodology? Yeah, let's do this. So we're supposed to start with the color. And my God, this thing is like the deepest ruby color. Is that the Petit Verdot? Yeah. Yeah, Petit Verdot definitely adds a nice color there. Um, For, I mean, the tasting notes for me, I mean, this is definitely... You know, we look at, break the wine sound from the sight, the smell, the palate, and your conclusion. Uh, from a diploma perspective, the conclusion is a whole other big part that you need to write about. And so where you get maybe half the points for the structure, the other half the points come from, you know, being able to really, you know, talk about the wine um, and its quality and things like that. So, okay. okay. Just the sight, I mean, definitely it's, this wine is a deep ruby color. But it's funny, with Diploma, even, you only get two points for, for the color. Only two points? Yeah, for talking about the concentration of color and uh, that color itself. So how many points can you get in total for a single wine? It's 100 points per wine. Only two points are color? <laughs> what? what? I can't believe that. When you're writing in, a, in the test, you're going, you're really breezing through it. But you have to write in full sentences, too. So this one is, you know, you know, deep ruby color. Wait, so I, f- I feel like you have to talk in, like, Jeopardy terms, right? <laughs> it's almost like when we watched Some and we saw, like, Ian Cobble, and he's like, this, star- this wine this wine is star bright. It has nothing by the rims. But, like, do you actually have to speak in Jeopardy terms? Like, what is Cabernet Sauvignon? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, like, if you're talking about color and it's only two points, there's only so much you can say. Like, this wine is red. This I mean, <laughs> wine is ruby. I suppose that's true, but, like... I mean, I'm sure some people can get really creative in their descriptions. And then just you can kind of smell it before it gets to your... I'd say this is kind of medium plus. I I definitely get a lot of those blackberry, cherry, kind of blueberry nuts on this wine. Yeah, I get a lot of dark berry, dark cherry flavors from this wine. That was the first thing that came to mind when I sipped this. Cabernet should really be black fruits all day. A nice kind of dark chocolate, that coconut, vanilla... I get more clove, allspice, black pepper, cinnamon, gravel, and graphite. Uh, Holy shit, that's a lot of flavors over there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going to go out on on a limb here. And I have to say, like, I just keep getting this sense, this note of dried violets. Whoa, really? You never use floral notes. I know, it's just like, it's not my thing. But, like, seriously, even from like an hour ago when we first opened this and started Mm -hmm. smelling it, and really, you know, like swirling it around, like I cannot get over this violet thing, and huh. that's definitely not my—that's not my bag, baby. <laughs> but on the, I mean, I, I definitely more of those medium plus kind of fine grain tannins. I mean, with diploma, we always—it's not just about the the pronunciation of tannins, but the the nature of those tannins. Right. So, yeah. Fine grained, and so to me, this is kind of nice, softer, fine grained kind of tannins. Uh, definitely a full body warming alcohol, um, a lot of ripe black fruits here as well. But going into some of those things we smelled on the nose with a nice generous finish as well. I mean, there's there's a lot of flavor going on here, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, this is really good. I would say that I tend to get some of those dark berries. Again, blueberry is really the primary flavor I've gotten since we started opening this. Um, but I actually, 
actually also get a hint of eucalyptus. Yeah, I get that actually more on the smell than the taste. Okay. Let's get a little like, that mint eucalyptus on there. Not so like I'd get in like Australian Cabernet from like Kunoir, but definitely there's a little bit of those nice kind of brushy herbs on the, the back there. That's more unique to this wine than I've had in other Cabernets or something like that or other blends. I think overall it's delicious. Oh, mm-hmm. I think that's that's the main thing that the consumers or our listeners need to know is that it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one. We, we always love it. And uh, we've been doing this wine since 2004. Yeah. So 10 years. So what? well, I know, but what we're drinking is the 10 years oh, into yes. it since, since this is in 2014. Yeah. I mean, so the, we're owned by four family vintners and, you know, they their favorite thing to do is to go out to go out to dinner and ask for a table for four. Uh, so they figured they'd name their favorite wine after that. That's right? awesome. Or something that. And this is the wine that kind of pairs with it all. Oh, totally. So any last words for our listeners on Jessup Cellars or anything you think they should know? I know I highly encourage them to go to Napa and visit you or to call you and see if you guys will come to them. Since we know that that's an option now. And then DB Peeps, um, please invite us. We'll make a road trip or yeah, something. Yeah, we'll come. 100%. So um, one that mentions DBP, I'll give them a complimentary tasting. How about ah, that? Oh my God, that like would that. be amazing. That's awesome. But anything. <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Thank you. Anything else that you would um, want our listeners to know about Jessup? No, we're just a fun, friendly winery, and we'd love to have people come in. You know, we... You know, we love sharing our favorite wines with friends and family, and we love making that family even bigger. So that's what we're all about. Okay. Become part of the Jessup family. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Go visit. We have, and... All over the country, except for Utah and Mississippi. Those are the only two states I can't ship to. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Well, you can ship to Wisconsin, so that's all we're worried about. That's really all we care about. (laughs) So with that, thank you, thank Grant, you so, so much. much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here with us. And um, yeah, all around. Thank you. Of course. So until next time, cheers, cheers. DB peeps. Cheers. Salute. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at DBP Cheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.